Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome, marketers, advertisers, and those who love them, to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Clive Sirkin. Today's topic, why marketing creativity is in decline and what to do about it. Clive is the former CMO of Kimberly Clark and the former Chief Growth Officer for Kellogg's. Prior to jumping over to the client side, he was a group managing director at Leo Burnett. He also hosts the podcast called Unstuck, where he actually invited me on his show. So here we are, tit for tat. He's on CMO Confidential. He's been on both the agency and the client sides. So he has a great perspective on creativity over time. Welcome, Clive. Hey, Mike, it's great to be here. I think we should rename this episode Grumpy Old Men Take Two. You know, I, that's so hurtful. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go. What, what, you're not grumpy or you're not old? Uh, Clive, you're just getting me on all fronts. This is like a left <laughs> and a right punch right here before we even get to the first question. So I'm going to move on. But I appreciate I appreciate the humor. Also, Clive has that kind of accent where you believe almost everything he says. I expect all you listeners will believe almost everything that Clive says today, even if he is making it up. So here's the first question. Clive, you, you look across the landscape of marketing. Uh, what creative trends are you seeing? And then we can talk about them, but but I know you have a lot of theories on this. So so let let's start with that. What do you see? So b- before I answer that question, let me just say um, the one underlying piece of this is I like to try and distinguish between creativity and crafting. And I think all too often agencies and clients get trapped in confusing one versus the other. Um, for me, the most important thing is creativity as in the quality of an idea. Um, of course, crafting is crucial and and how you produce that idea in whatever format and channel you put it in. Um, but I'll take every day and any day a world-class idea over a shitty idea that's crafted well, okay? And so one of the trends that I see, and it's not a new trend, it's, it's over time, is that a greater premium is placed on crafting over idea. And so you, you see a lot of wonderfully well-produced ideas in whatever format they're in, whatever channel that they're in. And there's no there there. There is no idea. Um, and it, it doesn't um, force your consumer, and force is probably the wrong word, but it doesn't entice your consumer to participate. It doesn't... Um, reward your consumer intellectually or emotionally. It doesn't connect with them. It doesn't understand them. And it's just eye candy. Um, and the single most important thing in my mind for marketers and agencies, and, I, and I'd say marketers have the accountability to hold their teams, their collective teams accountable to, is creativity in ideas and creativity in thinking. 
Can, can I can uh, I can I drill down on this a little bit and talk about so you know the Super Bowls just a, 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 a like two months ago, and there was an awful lot of celebrities and what I'm going to call borrowed interest. Is that what you're talking about here, or like give me a couple examples of people doing it right, and if you're comfortable, people that you think are just borrowing the interest or 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 focused on crafting versus the idea. Right. Well, it was a lot of that. Um, it was a lot of that. And, and, you know, we could get in a whole, go down a rat hole in terms of should you be in advertising in Super Bowl and is 7 million worth it? And the answer is it depends. Right. Um, but you when you start, not, I would say, but yes. Right. Okay. It's like, you know, it's like, again, if you like a world renowned brand and everyone knows you, getting people to be aware of you, it's like, what, you're going to get the other one person living under a rock? to be aware of you. So is that worth the money? But the bigger thing is reliance on celebrities for the sake of the celebrity, thinking that the celebrity is going to somehow change the, the math is, is absurd. Um, and the reliance on massive production value and gimmicks is absurd. And, and it just tells me that the team, the collective team didn't have an idea, didn't know what they wanted to do, got caught up in the moment and sort of, you know, it's a non-rational escalation of commitment, the euphoria of, you know, so, you know, sometimes you sit in these meetings and you go, why are we all giddy? Like, we, this is not really good. Um, and so I was, like a lot of people out there, super disappointed um, in a lot of the work. They're both on a sort of quality of idea and, frankly, on a crafting. And then, you know, it's like over the years, there's been some extraordinary last not this past week, but the one before with, with the UPC. It's like, that's clever. That's smart for what it was designed to do at the time, in the moment, in the medium. Just so you know, everybody knows, you just threw out the acronym UPC. I think you should explain it and then pick one once you thought was excellent. Well, the, 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 the intelligent play this year was the misdirect where the, um, two, it was two week they, they, um, yeah. That made you feel like you were you your screen had gone off and you jump channels and that that's clever that's smart there's and it made sense for the brand and for the proposition and it broke through and it got people engaged and participating and talking about it and it was a brand that was not really well known so like all of the pieces there made sense for what they were doing in the business outcome they were looking to create um, you know so it got fantastic. Um, when I see, you know, there was a lot of, you know, debate and, and you know, points of view on 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 the Molson Coors uh, bit that was done. And, I, you know, I, I said, Michelle, no, thing. that's terrific. That was thoughtful. That was intelligent. That was engaging. It was different. It wasn't your conventional big production, you know. And listen, I love, you know, the Clydesdales. It's beautiful, you know. Is it really going to yield them the return? You know, I used to go nuts on Coke, for example. It's like Coke would do the polar bears every year, right? Yeah. And spend a ton of money, you know, animatronics and animation and CGI and, and all that stuff. And I go, is that really selling one more bottle of Coke? Like, is that really the idea of Coke? Like, I have a point of view on what the idea of Coke is. Like, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, but, you know, I always felt that the idea of Coke was best epitomized in that like 1970s ad I'd like to teach the world to sing. Yeah. And it wasn't the execution, which is beautiful. 
It was yeah. fabulous. It was well thought through. It was the idea behind that execution, which is in a world which increasingly is designed to push people apart and focusing on their differences, there's one little thing, a bottle of Coke, that everyone seems to like. No matter where you're from, what religion, what nationality, what belief, what orientation, it doesn't matter. And if we both like the Coke, a bottle of Coke, maybe there's something else that we could see common ground. And so when you look at all the work that Coke does and has done sort of offline, um, you know, friendship bottles and all of those things that they, they do that's more guerrilla-like and more online, I feel like that is the idea of Coke. So that's the it's, essence of the brand. I think you're talking about the essence of the brand coming through in the creative. And and I, I think one of the things also, so you saw a lot of of ads where you had three, maybe four celebrities in the ads. And, and, and I think, gosh, in the era of budget cuts, tremendous media inflation last year, um, more brands would be thinking about breaking through with a brand idea versus the crafting idea because crafting idea is expensive. Like when you're, when you are, are spending all that. So why isn't that happening? Cause I can make a case that a lot of brands are, are playing it safe or going really big for what I'm going to call crafting. Why is that happening at a time when budgets are clearly under stress and there's lots of lots of things going on where people aren't going, hey, you know what we'd like to do is give you CMO and agency a lot more money. Um, why is there more focus on this? Gosh, we got to grab attention versus we got to tell a story. I think there's two issues. One is a sort of a time based, like more current idea of what's happening now. Um, and one is a sort of more chronic issue. I'll talk to the chronic issue. I think historically go back as far as you want the teams that deliver the best quality ideas the ideas that are talked about in the right way for the right reasons are teams that hold themselves to a high standard um that really interrogate the work on the table in a very critical way and don't just buy the first exciting thing that comes in that really ask the questions is this an idea is this a powerful idea is this consistent with the brand is it you know at your point does this deliver the essence of the brand does it answer the commercial problem i'm trying to solve is this addressing the problem that's preventing us from making money all of the things that you need to really interrogate and that comes from really great talent working together with a high degree of trust and a lack of fear. And so I think talent, trust, and a unwillingness to yield to fear um, is sort of the antidote to shit work. So how do you do that when the average tenure for a CMO is anywhere between 18 months and three years? There's massive pressure on acquisition. There's massive pressure to lean into performance marketing. And there's massive pressure on measures. Right. You know, and one of the things that's happening, at least, at least I think, is, and we did an earlier show on this, uh, one of the first shows of CMO Confidential is the obsession with measurement destroying marketing. Um, how do you manage this as a CMO in an agency, particularly when people are demanding results now? And that would be measures, that would be management, because it's one thing to say you should have no fear, it's another thing to get vaulted in the job where everything's like, what have you done for me today, Clive? 
Right. Well, let's let's um, the the average tenure of CMO is, I think, sort of maybe the the uh, the consequential outcome, not the driver of right. So, yeah. but we we can get into that. And you and I've lived that world, but um, I was lucky at, at Casey to to be in the seat for a long time, following someone who was in the seat for a very long time, and I, I think I think the bigger issue when I talk about fear is. And I used to run around the world for seven years giving the speech, and I had this one visual, which is like these two feet on a frozen um, pond. And I, my point to the and, – and I used to give the speech to all of the marketeers and commercial leaders uh, at every level in all of our geographies. And the point I was trying to make was the reason companies, teams, brands, organizations – sort of get to mediocrity and sort of find a happy sort of average space is because humans are taught to fear the unknown from day one. As parents, we teach our children to fear the unknown because we we naturally sort of want to protect them. And so by the time humans get into the workforce, they become like ninjas at fear the unknown. And it's like, and that shapes all of their decision making, you know. And and so the minute they out there on the ice, they don't want to go any further because they fear that the ice may crack, and they don't know if the ice is thick enough. And if they walk a little further out, if it cracks, they're going to fall in and get hypothermia and die. And so my my point was, as leaders, our job is to create an environment in the organization where we convince people a few things. One, it's not a freezing lake. It's actually a little puddle on the side of the road. Worst case scenario, it's like one foot deep. And if you go in there, you're going to like ruin a pair of shoes. We'll get you new shoes. Okay. Number two is if you keep standing where you are, eventually you're going to melt the ice underneath you and you're going to go in anyway. So you might as well get out there. Um, and if we can create an environment where there is a less susceptibility to fear because of consequent bad consequences. People are going to be more willing to challenge their thinking, challenge the teams, and try more stuff. Well, but In- this is a this is a lot of boards and a lot of CEOs, and a, I will also say a, a number of CFOs don't like you to go out on that ice that far because it is not guaranteed. So if you have the job like you had, or some of the jobs I had, where you actually have the backing of the peer group and the CEO. You can go out on that ice. If you don't, a lot of just stepping on the ice can be dangerous for you. How do you do it? And then I want to ask a follow-on question before you even answer this, which is you have this thing, I'm calling it contagion of the moment, which is people will take a step from that ice to move to something that everybody is doing. Right. And, that's that, and they won't necessarily do it because of them. They'll they'll do it because it is a safe move on the ice. Can you talk about that and For how sure. do you manage it if you're not in the right space? For sure. And that, so to, to point one, a CMO's role is is to play and manage two constituents, the organization, but then crucially and even more importantly, the executive team, the C-suite team, and the board. And so if as a CMO, you're leaving the board with the impression that you're making single massive big bets, okay, 
that have the potential to win and lose big time, you're playing into the fear. You playing in. I agree. With so, this. You want a story that people can join and a vision that people can follow, not a, I, I think to use your words, a craft that people can judge. Correct. Uh, okay. And, and, oh. and, and so your, your language, your thinking, your narrative, your behavior as a CMO should be a commercial orientation throughout the organization, but m- even more so and more amplified when you're talking to the board, the C-suite, the C-team, the executive team, your CEO, you're having a conversation about we're in the business to sell more stuff to more people to make more money, right? right. You're, in a, you're talking about what is the problem preventing us from making money? You're talking about building long-term value by delivering short-term value and not sort of setting them up as two different constructs. I, I, I don't want to let this roll by because I think this is a super important point, which is, and I think this underpins everything we've been talking about. And and, and I wish I had lifted it up earlier in the the uh, interview, which is that the thing you're saying is we're doing marketing to make the company more financially successful. That's the only reason we're doing it. Being noticed is helpful. Doing a big thing is helpful. Having great crafting is helpful. But if it doesn't make us more money, we're probably not doing our best. And and what I hear you saying in here is there's been a little conflation of crafting and doing cool stuff versus making us money. Is right. that right? Hundred percent. If if you're out there selling cool stuff, you're an artist. If you're out there selling a commercial outcome that builds the business, um, then you're a marketeer. You're a commercial leader, and it's like you and I have talked about this. And then I'm going to get because you had a second question. I'll get to that in a sec, but. You and I have talked about this, which is, you know, equity is a consequential outcome of taking someone's money and making them feel good about giving you their money. Yeah. Right. If you take your 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 consumer, your buyer, your customer's money, and give them an experience that blows their mind, you're getting your commercial outcome and you're building equity because they love giving you money. And there is a contagion. I'll get to your question. The contagion, like. What frustrates me, and I've, I've managed this horribly in my career because I just got angry about it. I wish I could go back and change some things because I used to ban the term digital marketing, okay? I literally banned it. You couldn't say digital marketing to me. And the reason I did it was it's really stupid. The, the banning of it was really stupid. But the reason I was doing it is it, it, it's mind-boggling to me, and it happens now. It's like whether it's AI or metaverse or machine learning or content. Like there's always like the next marketing, digital marketing, content marketing, performance marketing. And we just put marketing after the term and everyone gets giddy and then they chase this new squirrel down a rat hole and it becomes the thing, right? So it's like performance marketing. I know you're not, you, you have a point of view here and I share it. Performance marketing is like this big thing now. Where's the perf- of course it's important, but it's not the only thing. And when you start chasing these new bright, shiny objects to the exclusion of all else, or it becomes the thing that defines everything, you land up in a hole. So you go. I want to. I want to. I want to butt in on this because I think this is a a key point, which is your job is not to just embrace the new things; it's to embrace the new things in a way they complement the old things, and that you don't lose your position in the marketplace. And what I hear you saying is that a lot of the rush to the new things 
overwhelms the old things in a way that the total story is lost. Is 100%. That right? 100%. Okay. I, I had a feminist client, um, a beautiful human being who I'm still good friends with. And I used to go, he was the CMO of my client. And I used to go to him and I was like, hey, listen, there were two main agencies. And that agency was a terrific agency. We had this like really terrific sort of frenemy kind of relationship. But I, my job was to go and get them out of the business and consolidate. And I always go like, hey, when are you going to consolidate the business? And he'd say, Clive, all you're asking me is you're giving me one set of clubs. Like, if you come to me and say, I'm going to give you a more, and by the way, I'm not a golfer, so this may not make sense, but he'd say to me, if you bring me a more complete set of clubs, I'm interested. You're just saying you, you don't need two sets of clubs. You only need one set of clubs. He goes, come back and show me how you can get a more complete set of clubs. I think as a CMO, our job is to add more clubs to a golf bag, right? So it's you're able to perfect, play. A- it's not the perfect analogy, but I think our viewers will be able to get it. Which is, which <laughs> it's, is, it's not about a new driver. It's about a complete set of clubs and understanding the game. I, I want to move on because I'm hearing you say the contagion of the moment is something as a CMO you have to manage. Your job is not to move to the just the best thing that's new. 100%. It's to, it's to write a story. You have another saying, I think, it, it might be borrowed from somebody, but it's hostages mm-hmm. versus believers. Right. So this is, I think, an important thing. It's one of my favorite things. And credit to, to Kathy DeThorne, who was our head of planning at Leo Burnett a million years ago. Um, she did a study that that had a profound effect on in, in terms of how I think as a marketeer and how I think about brands. And essentially, my version of, of Kathy's truth is when you sit as a as a, a marketeer and you go loyalty and you think in terms of usage, like how much a particular customer consumer uses your brand. And if you think Singularly along those lines, you're missing half the picture and you can run yourself into a ditch. Yes, that's important. Um, what's equally important, if not more important, and most importantly is both having both of these measures is affinity. So think of it as an XY graph where you have one axis is, is affinity and one axis is usage. And your sweet spot is to create high affinity and high usage. I use your brand a ton and I absolutely love your brand. Right. And we call those believers. If you're creating believers, you're creating a very resilient business on multiple levels. One, if you screw up, they're going to forgive you and you will screw up. They are less susceptible to pricing. They are your number one marketing vehicle because they will um, sell your product, your brand for you. They will be vocal for you. Like, this is the nirvana, like the this is where every brand wants to do is measure how many believers you are building. Sustained usage, high affinity. The opposite of that is hostages. So when you have a ton of people, and this is to your point, like when you exclusively focus on performance marketing and acquisition, you can build a ton of users who don't like you. Okay. The old days of airlines, and even now to a degree, if not more so now, where you have a lot of users, heavy who users. Who hate you. Yeah. Who hate you. Some of the cable don't... companies might be right there. Yeah. Bingo. yeah. And, and maybe, maybe not hate you, but certainly don't love you. And they're hostages. And the problem with heavy user hostages 
when they leave you, they leave big, right? They take a lot of business out. And so you have you have a real challenge there if you're just focusing on usage as in I'm just acquiring, I'm acquiring, I'm acquiring, I'm acquiring, as opposed to I want to take that and build deep affinity. Um, then you have a resilient, sustainable business that you can scale over time and, and will be um, proof, uh, you know, sort of recess proof against recession, against any of the issues that inevitably every brand will feel. Oh, time. your job as a marketer is to make sure you are telling a story and building believers. If I'm consolidating all this, because I think we're running towards the 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 end of the show, we may have to have you back live. Um, I, I would love to have. I have two last questions. First, is there a? Well, I'll just put it in one question. You can take two answers if you want. Either funny story you can tell on the air, and or anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our listeners that piece of practical <laughs> advice to CMOs, agencies, marketers, funny, practical, or both. And you can have uh, two. I, so the two things come to mind. One is I used to tell the story um, as part of my, the, my roadshow speech. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll keep telling it until people tell me to shut up, which happens um, is I remember vividly one night being in a bar in London with um, a guy who had worked at Leo Burnett and went on to found an agency in Europe that was arguably the most greatest shop in Europe, if not globally at the time. It was many, many years ago. And a few years in, I had the desire to have an argument with him. Um, it, only took a, it only took a few beers. That's shocking. It only took a few. But I was trying to make a point. Anyway, so I asked him, why is it that you... You're real. And so we're talking 25 years ago. So it was a real, unfortunately. It was like, why is your work so much better than ours? And I was expecting him to say, because we have better creative talent. And then I was going to have my argument, right? So I was setting up the argument. And he came back to me and he said, mate, I'll, you have pound for pound better creative talent at your agency. The difference in your agency and our agency is we think of ideas as as a as a as a worm that's a larva that's going to be a butterfly, right? And so we, when an idea comes on the table, our job is to curate this idea and to help it become that butterfly, which is this incredibly delicate thing that it, and give it flight. Okay. And he goes at your shop too often. You guys look at it and go, "It's a worm," or you rip the wings of the butterfly. And there was a real, and it was good. We had a good laugh that night and it led to a very good conversation. But, and I have a corollary to that, which is um, our job as marketers is to understand whether this thing is going to be a butterfly or not. A lot of them are cockroaches. And the number one thing you do with a cockroach is kill it immediately. Okay. Um, because cockroaches breed. And there's. So I kill it with one of those claws from my golf analogy. Bingo, to baby. prevent myself from just making a ton of hostages. I want to make sure I have all the all the analysis wrapped up for our listeners all in one. Without you, I'm a mess. But it's important. It's like too often you're sitting in a meeting, there's a cockroach and you let it live for all kinds of stupid reasons. But you also equally need to understand if this thing's going to be a butterfly, you have to, as a team, treat this thing with, with care and you need to be delicate and you need to help give 
the idea flight and let it be the butterfly it is. It sounds a little, you know, out there. And yes, there were a number of beers involved in that, but it was a powerful lesson to me in terms of the importance you have as a, no matter what your title is, no matter what part of the table you're sitting at, you have a role to play to identify high quality ideas and nurture them to, to, to deliver their full commercial ability. Um, well, I, I think this is, and this goes back to the opening of the whole show, which is the idea versus the crafting of the idea, which is you need the idea to live and cut across all the media, all the places, all the clubs in your golf bag, and then you do great crafting. And if you're not doing that, what you're doing is you're actually launching a bunch of different ideas that don't actually hold together. So thank you, Clive, and thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube, which include What Your Agency Wants to Tell You But Won't, Parts 1 and 2. Will the obsession with measurement destroy the marketing function? Is the CMO position headed for extinction? And what private equity really thinks about marketing? Hey, all you marketers, be safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Thank you, Clyde. It's my pleasure. And by the way, CMOs are not heading for extinction. Only bad ones are. All right, very good. This episode of CMO Confidential is produced and sponsored by Adcom, one of the premier integrated marketing and advertising agencies. Adcom works with mid-market companies to create measurable returns. With 30-plus years' experience, Adcom partners to lead innovative strategy, creative, media, and analytics for growth-oriented brands that want to differentiate themselves in a crowded field. Working in B2B, B2C, healthcare, financial services, transportation, building products, and consumer goods, Adcom leverages unique internal and external insights to create dynamic and lasting brands ready to maximize their market position. For more information, visit us at engageadcom.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. 
From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 